Well, welcome to Ethics Today. This is a program that interviews uh, people who are doing interesting and important work around the country and um, just uh, looking at their motivations and their expertise. Um, uh, the aim of the program mainly is listening and we're available both on, on YouTube and on, on the Ethics Today podcast. Uh, today our, our guest is Jervie Windham. Uh, Jervie is a retired um, Army Sergeant. He had a 24-year career in the, in the U.S. Army before moving to Galveston County in Texas. And, um, and he's the lead pastor now of, of Resonate Church. And so, Jervie, welcome to the program today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You, uh, you made an interesting decision after retiring from the military to move to the greater Houston area and help to serve that community in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. And could you just tell us a little bit about the decision to move to, to that area of Texas and to start this new church? Well, uh, my wife and I, when we knew that we were coming up on retirement um, from the military, we just began to pray and, and ask God where he would want us to um, spend our retirement. So um, we were very intentional about that, and we were stationed in Hawaii at that time um, after I left Wisconsin. Um, you know, we moved to Hawaii. So um, while we were stationed there, we literally um, began to list cities that we believe, you know, were cities that we would want to, to live in. And how we went about that, we went on this website, it's called Sperling's Best Places. And back then, I don't know if it's still that way, you fill out, you answer these demographic uh, questions, and then they spit out these cities that um, kind of fit your demographic criteria. So what we decided to do is we would take that list, and every time we go on vacation, we would only go to the cities on that list, and then we would just pray. And so that's what we believe that, um, how God would show us. And so Galveston was like number four on our list. And so we ended up, um, when we went to Galveston, literally when we got out of the car, I looked at my wife, she looked at me, and we were like, this is home. And so for us being military, it wasn't odd, the fact that um, we didn't have any family there. We're not from there. I'm from New York originally. My wife's from, um, from New Jersey. So uh, we didn't have family there. But that's not very odd for us, you know, because being military, we've uh, had to live that uh, you know, several times over. So um, we ended up, the military ended up throwing me a curveball. I had no idea um, when I, that was in 2015. I had no idea that when I returned to Hawaii, I would end up on orders to go to Virginia and to serve there. So while I was in Virginia, um, it actually was God's providence. I ended up connecting with a church there uh, called New Life out of La Plata, Maryland. And I ended up being a campus pastor for uh, the New Life Network. And so this is while I was still in the military. So I had great supervisors that allowed me to do my military job and still be a campus pastor. But while I was there, Hurricane uh, Harvey hit our area right where my house was. Uh, and so literally across the street from my home, was absolute devastation. I mean, that the neighborhoods across from my neighborhood. My neighborhood was held intact, thank God, but the neighborhoods around me, surrounding us, 
was absolute devastation unlike anything I've ever seen. Were you just in a, in a higher place that, were you on a little rise or something that avoided the flooding or was it the winds that didn't impact as much or what? Uh, it was the fact that um, we had newer, our neighborhood was newly constructed and therefore the drainage in our neighborhood was phenomenal. I mean, it, it helped. And right. so um, unfortunately the neighborhoods around us were more, you know, they were older neighborhoods and then uh, there was a flood zone not far from where we we're located. And, um, you know, uh, the areas around us like Dickinson and some of the other um, towns were absolutely devastated. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. So when I got back to when, you know, so being in Virginia, uh, my military uh, job and the church itself, the, the, the military gave me the time to go down and, and, and serve and the church actually gave me the resources um, to go down and serve the communities down there. So we went down there with a team of people and connected with Eight Days of Hope um, and some of the other um, groups that were down there serving. And I tell you that whenever I walk the streets and begin to um, just, you know, serve the communities around there in this sort of devastation, it was heartbreaking. I mean, to literally walk down the street and see someone's entire life piled up outside of their home you know, because was, those homes had to be mucked out and, um, and stripped. And it was just, it was incredible. So it was during that time when I was walking through those communities that I knew um, that this is a long-term thing that, that, that we're going to be a part of, you know, for the rest of our lives. And so um, I really felt um, a calling to, uh, to plant a church there um, that wouldn't just be a place where people would come on Sundays, but that we would be a, a church literally um, there for the set purpose of, of walking through this long-term uh, process um, with the communities around us. And so we're, we're, we're kind of, we, we say that um, uh, we're not just a, a, a church behind the walls. We're, we do most of what we consider to be ministry outside of, of our church setting. I think it was Ed Stetzer, he's an author, he, he said um, in a book that um, people are not looking for another friendly church, they're looking for friends. And I felt that that was actually the calling that God was placing on my life and, and on Nova's life that, you know, to not just live out our retirement um, there in, in the greater Houston area, but actually um, we were called to be friends, you know, to our neighbors there and, and to serve them. And so, um, that's, that's actually what, how Resonate came about because when I got back to Houston, literally I hadn't talked to the, uh, to the church network there, but, um, my ministry coach and my senior pastor that was there, um, didn't even, I mean, it was just phenomenal how it happened. Um, while I was gone, they were praying about, you know, doing something long-term in the greater Houston area. So literally the Lord spoke to me. I didn't talk to them. God spoke to them. They didn't talk to me. And then by the time I got back and, you know, when we sat down and, and talked about it, it was phenomenal how much God had really placed on their hearts. That was exactly what God was placing on my Well, for those of us who don't live in a coastal area, we think of, of hurricane, the recovery from a hurricane is something that takes a few months afterwards. And then of course the news cycle moves on. So then we don't hear much more about it. And then once we get to the next year, then there's a new hurricanes season and we hear about hurricanes in other areas. So you're talking about long-term. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's already been about three years now since Hurricane Harvey. What do we, what do you mean by long-term recovery? So what I noticed um, whenever we we came here, um, and, you know, as church planners, especially um, you, we. we exegete the community. I mean, you literally have to come here and, and, and learn and, and watch and listen. Um, there's so much that I thought I knew about this community until I literally got here. Now, from being here, I truly understand why that whole long-term long mindset, I had to really answer that, you know, um, because it is long-term. There are people, um, I want to say, Hurricane Ike hit in 2010. There are people that just recovered from Hurricane Ike just to be hit by Hurricane Harvey. Wow. Yeah. So, how, you know, if you look at um, regions like ours that are hit by hurricanes, I mean, major hurricanes, you know, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but on a regular basis, uh, there are more than most places, let me say it that way. There is uh, emotional... Uh, damage um, that's done. There, there's, there's mental uh, damage that's done. It, it just, there's so much hurt and pain that's going on in people's lives because they haven't been able to truly rebuild. And uh, the truth is, is that, you know, when you drive around, if I were to bring you down to our community and you, and you drove around, you would think everything's fine because when you don't see the big, the big uh, heapings of piles of trash, you know, on the sides of the, of the roads because all that's been cleaned up. But I can take you to members of my church. I can take you to their homes. And before you walk in the house, uh, you can smell um, the, the mold. And you can go into people's homes and literally um, see no walls up. And they're living like that day in and day out because they're still waiting for someone to help them. Um, there are people that... Um, uh, you know, that are living in very unhealthy conditions right now um, throughout Houston. Uh, thousands of families. Some estimates say that right now, um, the 4B Disaster Response Network that we partner with has built, uh, uh, rebuilt about uh, 420 homes. But some estimates say that they, there may be over 9,000 families that are still displaced from Hurricane Harvey. So we go into homes, we see homes all the time that are, no one should be living in those conditions and people have been living in those conditions for years and they don't see an end to it. And they're not considered, they're not considered homeless. So they don't, they don't enter into a lot of the statistics whereby we measure some of these effects, right? That's right. That's right. Their kids still go to school. Um, they're still, they still go to work, many of them. But if you notice, um, a lot of them are beginning to have health problems. Um, we have known of people to literally die and you go to their homes and, you know, this is, you know, they have terrible mold issues and various other things. If you have respiratory issues or if your kids have respiratory issues or other, you know, um, sort of, um, you know, um, issues, I mean, the, the, the mold can be devastating to you. It can be life-threatening. But aside from that is a lot of the um, invisible uh, wounding and uh, scarring, you know, that, that, that people are, are, are living with day in and day out. And so um, one of our models for Resonate is stay inspired, you know, because it's our, our goal and, 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 
and mission is to, you know, breathe inspiration into the lives of people and let them know that they have friends, you know, that, that care about them and that are going to be here and, and walk with them, you know, through this process. And if we have to do it again and again and again, then guess what? You'll never do it alone because people care about you and, and we'll be here. We'll do it together. Well, could you say more about that? Because I think a lot of people would say, well, it's a, it's a nice idea to, you know, form an organization that can help out in the aftermath of, of a hurricane or something. But like, how does it, how does a church actually help people who suffered from the loss of homes because of a flood? Isn't that something that FEMA does or other organizations? Well, you have um, some of these people, if you look at it from a, you know, kind of legal or logistic standpoint, uh, let's take, um, take Dickinson, for example, over 80% of the homes there, um, some of the research that I've read said that uh, people did not, over 80% 80 of the homes impacted did not have insurance, did not have uh, flood insurance. So what do you do for those people that live in communities and they can't afford the flood insurance? You know, um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a church, I, I mean, we are a church, you know, if you want to look at it as an organization, but what we tell people is what's mo more important than having a church is being the church. And so this is the language that we use um, for, you know, people that connect with, with our ministry because it's not about resonate at all. You know, it really is about the church being the church. So we connect with other churches. We have um, many churches that we partner with. Um, one thing that we always say is we'll wear your T-shirt. So if you're an organization and you're doing kingdom work and you're helping people and you're being that source of inspiration, we want to come alongside you and help you do what it is that we feel that, you know, um, that, that's, that's bringing hope, you know, into our communities. So that's actually the DNA of Resonate. You know, Resonate is really not about, um, you know, having church or, or it's really about the church being the church. And so that's language that we use a lot. So how, what we do is we come alongside people. Um, we are their friends. We are their neighbors. And we want to let them know that they are not alone, that we'll do the dirty work. We'll, we'll roll up the sleeves. Now, we're not going to just do it for you. We'll do it with you. But we'll roll up our, our sleeves alongside you and, and help you put things back together. And we want you to know that if, you, if something happens and you have to do it again, you're not going to do it again alone. You know, we're, we're here for the long haul. And that's what people really need in these sort of communities because a lot of other organizations, they come and go. And it's wonderful when volunteers come and help. It's a beautiful thing. But then they're gone. And there are so many people, overwhelming amount of people that still need help. So it's important for those of us that live in this community to look at our communities through a missional lens and say, you know what? We're not just here to live. We're here to serve. You know, that's what we're here for. And we're here to serve one another. So discipleship to us looks like, you know, people who are answering that call from God, teaching others the importance and value that they have to answer that call from God as well. Because all of us can do something for someone. And we, we, we it's important that people see that in themselves. So how does the... How does the church actually do this work? So you partner with other churches, I imagine sometimes with other agencies. Are you actually going in into homes and helping to rebuild them? 
Yes, we do. Um, we do that. We go into homes and help rebuild them. Um, we make referrals to people who, who, uh, who need um, assistance with counseling. Um, we connect with every network that we can find that's available to us um, so that we can, you know, kind of be that point person for people in our communities that may be simply exhausted with finding help. So when we come across those people that are exhausted with, found, with finding help, you know, we want to be that breath of inspiration so that we can say, hey, we can help you. Why? Because we have friends. So we're not the ones that, you know, we can't do everything, but together, you know, together we can do a whole lot. And so we found some wonderful people to partner with. Um, Galveston Urban Ministries, 4B Disaster Response Network. Um, there's just so many I can name that are just wonderful uh, people that are doing, you know, the, the kingdom work, you know, in our communities. And, you know, um, and so those are the people that we partner with. And, uh, so that, that's how we do it. So I wanted to ask you, a, so like, could you give us some numbers? Like how many, how many um, homes have you helped to rebuild and helped? How many people are being impacted by the work that you're, congregation is doing in these neighborhoods okay so on a weekly on a weekly basis um our what we call we call it our missional footprint um our missional footprint because we have missional communities that we go into and we actually serve those communities um you know with uh bible devotions with um you know, we have coffee shops, we have, you know, that we run with you know, a little pop-up coffee shop where we have people in our congregation that may be elderly that feel like they still want to serve. So we find ways for people to serve. So if someone wants to serve, you know, we have one, one gentleman, I can tell you, Uncle Jack, um, he's, had, uh, he's had a stroke. Um, he lost his wife. Uh, he was in a coma for three years. And uh, so, you know, he has his, you know, a plethora of, of, of health issues himself. But whenever, prior to the pandemic, he did not miss a day being the uh, person to uh, serve coffee at a, at, a, uh, at a rehabilitation center. He didn't miss a day. He walked there every single day, got the coffee pots ready, um, whatever he could do to serve. And right now, even, you know, he calls me on the phone and sometimes he says, like, because of the pandemic and because that, that, that uh, Mitchell community is close to him, he feels so lost because he's like, serving gave me so much life. And he's like, what do I do now? And it hurts me, it hurts me because it was such, a, he, I tell you, he thought we did something for him, but my God, what he did for us, just watching him serve and just, be happy and just enjoy being a blessing to other people. Um, it just, it inspired me, you know? And so um, that's a lot of the difficulty that we're seeing right now um, during, you know, actually during this pandemic. But to answer your question, um, during, prior to the pandemic, our missional footprint was about 300 uh, people per week um, that we were serving in some capacity through missional communities. Um, as far as homes, we partner with, um, uh, 4B Disaster Response Network. Um, 4B has rebuilt uh, about 420 homes since they've been in existence. Um, we've been working with them for, I guess, wow, almost almost two years now. So, um, 
you know, we've been uh, in many of those homes, but, um, you know, just physically helping them and then also uh, bringing volunteers, um, finding volunteers to help them. So that's the type of stuff that we've been doing. And it's so important is this providing opportunities to serve because we know that this, this is the serving actually turns out to be a, a vital human need, right? And, and we have a society that's become so efficient at, at, at providing basic services that these relational communities sometimes have not been functioning very well because the, the, the service, the provision of needs has become so bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. Very true. We, we, that's, that's what we exist to, to do is to really help people find that space in their lives. I mean, so that they can really live the life that I think a very, you know, enjoy the best that God has for us. And um, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's, there's so much that you get from, from serving others. And um, Jack is just a great example of that. And so a lot of these missional communities came about with us just going in and listening to people, um, which is a very important part of, um, of, of our lives and, and ministry. It's not about just going out preaching because we find ourselves sometimes answering the questions that no one's asking. You know, we have to slow down and take the time to listen and the communities, you know, oftentimes will tell us um, where they really need us and where they're really hurting. And so that's where we plug in. So we don't just uh, come there with, uh, initially when we came here, we had a strategic plan that, that didn't work <laughs> at all. So we had to back up and, and really exegete the community and sit down and, and listen and just started hanging out with people. And that's what brought about um, a lot of the opening of our mission of communities where we have um, even a, 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 a a person who owns uh, four apartment complexes literally um, gave us an, a, a townhouse um, upstairs um, to use to uh, minister to his youth, to be there for his youth because there was a uh, triple homicide that happened there on that campus. And so um, that's a campus where um, our church has been there, you know, doing ice cream socials for kids and movie nights and things like that. And so just by hanging out with the community, um, whenever that happened, um, we were the people that the community called, you know, to come and be with them during that time of, of, of difficulty. And so we we're very honored to go there and serve them. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about what's going on now, because since, you know, you, you had gotten this ministry up and going and you're working at rebuilding houses and you're developing a vibrant church community. Um, and then we have uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, then the, the George Floyd protests, and I know there was a lot of, uh, there's friends and family members of George Floyd in the Houston area, so I imagine this, uh, the emotional impact of that hits pretty hard. And now you're, um, in your area, you have a, a surge of new cases as well. Yes. So I'm wondering, how, has, how have all these events affected your communities there? Well, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, many of the missional communities that we were working in, um, you know, are not open to us right now at this time, but we were really fortunate um, when we were working in those communities um, to kind of raise up servant leaders in those communities that are continuing uh, to serve, even in the absence of us being able to, to go there and, and physically go there in those communities and serve. So that's one thing that was very fortunate. Um, and 
So this is a difficult time and a lot of difficult conversations are being had throughout the Houston area. Uh, we have, we're a part of a network called the Houston Church Planting Network. And so um, out of that network, um, a lot of uh, churches have come together um, to have these difficult uh, conversations. Um, and it, it's been very, very helpful. So we find a lot of unity taking place, you know, among churches um, during this time. Um, and a lot of churches can tell you in our area that although a lot of things may be closed and, you know, of course there, um, you know, there has been a surge. I think people are concerned about people um, maybe more now than before. I think there's less being taken for granted. I see churches partnering more now than before. Um, I see more prayer happening now than before. Um, I mean, it's, it's really amazing how people are responding, you know, during this time. Even in my own community where I live, uh, they have a, we have a Facebook page um, for the community itself. And you're finding, you, you just see just acts of kindness, you know, just being, being done more, you know, now than, than ever before. So someone calling in saying, my son has a birthday party, a birthday today, and we can't have a party for him. And the whole community comes by and just does a parade. You know, I mean, just beautiful acts of kindness, things like that. Um, the other day in my community, one guy just went out and just put little flags by everybody's house, just stuck them in the ground, you know, for the 4th of July and went on and just, you know, just said some wonderful things about our country and about about us as neighbors, and it's just beautiful. So um, in the midst of, of, of this global crisis, um, I believe that God is doing what he's always done, and that is just sovereignly working in the hearts of people. You know, this, 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 this whole thing did not change him, you know, and I think he is using it in many ways to change us. You know, I was telling a story about uh, a guy in my community that I've never really seen outside, never seen him really, just see him get in his car every now and then and drive off to work or whatever. He works odd shifts. But during the time of, uh, the, I guess, the closure of his job, seeing him roll around on the grass with his daughter and go on walks with his family, I mean, just, it's like, yeah, okay, this is hard and it's tough, but what is really coming out of this, you know, that, I don't know, maybe would not have happened if this hadn't happened in certain ways. I think God uses it all, even the difficult things. And I think um, that's the message that we want to, you know, give to people is, you know, even in this difficulty, what is God's plan? You may be stuck at home, but why? And, and what, what is it that you can do there in your home to change the lives, even of the people that, you know, the Lord has placed around you? I mean, you know, um, we can do that. You know, average American prior to this, I want to say statistics were uh, spent less than uh, four minutes uh, a week. I mean, four minutes a day um, speaking with their kids. That's what the statistics were. So if the average person, but the average person spends over three hours a day on social media. So we spend less than four minutes talking to our kids, but we spend over three hours on social media. So, I mean, when you look at that. That's um, amazing. That's an amazing statistic. It is, yeah. But I, I would wonder what that's what that statistic is now. 
um, since the pandemic. So I'm going to go back and look at that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, I don't know, it, it's difficult times. And of course, um, it, it's, it's hard right now. And our heart goes out to all the people that are suffering um, from this illness and people that have lost loved ones from this illness. But um, I just believe that even in this difficulty, um, we can still change the world just by, you know, impacting the people closest to us, the people around us, the people that we are in contact with every day. Um, we can still change the world. And I think that, you know, there's still value in us believing that. One of the questions I get asked from students quite frequently as they're kind of starting out their professional lives and going out on their own is, is how they can get involved in their community. Uh, because it's not always easy to do. You, you kind of you look around, especially moving into a new area. Um, you just jumped into a completely new area and started getting involved. But I imagine it, it took a lot more work than what you're describing to us here yeah. in a short time. But what, yeah. what advice would you give to somebody who say, you know, 21, 22 years old and wondering, um, how do I really get involved in a life of service? I would say that it actually um, should begin with um, you kind of um, seeing where the needs are. You know, sometimes getting involved can be, you know, there, a lot of people are going to want you to get involved with whatever it is that they're, that they're doing, right? We all have this, but um, just listening, listening, making friends, finding out where the needs are, where the true needs are in your community. So you don't find yourself you know, doing the things that, you know, that, that, that someone wants you to do that's not really, you know, helping. Um, I think that that's, that, you know, you have to be careful about that because time is our most valuable resource. And so um, I think just listening to your community, finding out where your community is hurting, and then seeing if there's anyone that's already, because my biggest thing is I don't believe in duplication of effort. I don't need my t-shirt doing the same thing that your t-shirt is doing. I will wear your t-shirt. So if you're doing, you know, uh, something that, that, that I feel that we should be doing in our neighborhood, I have no, I, I don't want to compete with that. I want to join it. And I think that that's, that that's something that's important too. I would tell young people that if you see someone that's already doing the thing that you, that it's really on your heart to do, then talk to them, you know, be a part of it. Don't just feel like, well, I have to start my own. There are a lot of wonderful and amazing things that are happening in our community um, where people, just like 4B Disaster Response Network, would not be successful if they didn't have volunteers. So what if every volunteer said, I'm going to build my own? Then, you know, there's no way that these 420 houses would be rebuilt. It took volunteers saying, you know what? You guys are doing what we know needs to be done, and I want to join in that and be a part of it. And so that's what I would say. Listen to your community, find out where the needs really are, see if there's someone doing it. And here's the other thing that I'll say, and I'll leave that. If no one's doing it, don't wait for anybody to do it. You do it. If you know something needs to be done and no one's doing it, and it's really on your heart, who are you waiting for? God's sending you. Go do it. That's wonderful. Thank you, Jervy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Great to talk to you. And uh, blessings on you and your congregation, all the work you're doing there in the Houston area. And uh, I 
I hope you have a, a wonderful, uplifting year. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this discussion. And it's always good to see you again because you're a huge part of everything that I'm doing here because, um, you know, yourself and Tom Thibodeau and, and, and many others have really been a part of helping form uh, just my understanding of servant leadership. And um, that was also, I think, God's providence. I mean, my travels through Wisconsin, you know, who would have thought <laughs> that I'd be living in Wisconsin, that I would graduate from Viterbo, that I would be sitting in your classes, reading your books and, and talking with Tom and, and learning um, all of the stuff that really galvanized um, my understanding and my heart concerning servant leadership. So you're a huge part of this. And I thank you for your mentorship and your encouragement throughout the years. It's meant a lot. Well, I, you know, I like to talk about it, but then you, you go out and do it and um, you inspire me every time, every time we exchange emails. Um, it's just amazing to see what you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you.